Thanks for tuning in. You're now listening to the latest podcast from House SF. For more information about House and our heart for the city, please make sure to visit our website at www.housesf.org. this morning, family? Good. Glad my wife's the only one that answered. Is there, is there one other person? Good. Two people. That's not bad, right? The ratio's okay. Let's try it again. How are we this morning, family? All right. There you go. There you go. All right. Like Cece said, we've been in a series called Be, Grow, Thrive. It's really been the heartbeat of our church, especially moving forward as we go into the end of 2018. 2019 is upon us. Be, grow, thrive are three words that God spoke to us that really helps to frame who we are as a church, but not just who we are as a church, but what we want to accomplish as a church. We want to be a community where people could come and be welcomed in, and they could be. They could be family. They could be the body of Christ. And they could be who God's called them to be, which is so beautiful. I think it's amazing. Good job, God, with that. <laughs> but then it's also like community welcoming people in and allowing people to feel loved and safe is huge, right? But the other two elements to grow and thrive are just, just as important, and they go hand in hand together. Because we don't want a place where people just come and it's like, you know, we're just going to come, have a little social gathering, just come around, love you, see you next Sunday, have no idea what's going on throughout your week about your struggles, what you might be going through. We want to be the exact opposite. Sunday is kind of the highlight because we get to worship together in this setting, but Monday through Saturday is really where we put the rubber to the road, where we do family, where we're a community together, where we go through all of life's highs and lows together. This is where we get to experience it, right? So Monday through Saturday is also a big portion for us, but that's where we get to grow as a family. We get to grow in our own walks, in our journeys with Jesus. We get to learn more about him. We get to learn more about the gifts that we have, right? We can actually learn how to hear God in new ways and actually how to respond when he speaks. And thrive is just really the result of the first two. When you're able to be, when you grow, you're going to thrive. It's inevitable. And that's why it's so exciting that we're doing this series, you guys. So this week, I'm going to be completely honest from the get-go. There's been this passage, John chapter 4, and I have not been able to shake it. And I didn't know it was going to be a part of this series. I just figured ever since we went to Guadalajara, I cannot shake it. Like, what so far is every night when I'm in bed, I'm reading the same chapter. I'm like, God, what is it about this? What is it about this one chapter? I know this story, right? It's about the woman at the well. We all know it. As soon as I say that, probably so many of you are like, okay, yeah, I've heard this story. I've heard it probably preached a million different ways, right? I actually believe that there's something fresh in here for us today. I actually believe that this story relates heavily to what we're going through in church life with B, Grow, Thrive. Because B, if you think about it, it's about identity. Identity is huge, right? Everything in our lives, everything in our spiritual journey is impacted by our identity. Whether it's who we believe we are, 
Or we actually are walking in who God's called us to be and says we are. But see, our lives, our identity, and our purpose, they're actually all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to chat about this. When we welcome people in into a community, we want them to be, we want them to understand who they are, right, in Christ. But why I'm so really, really passionate about this, especially right now, in this chapter, and why I keep going back to this, is that I really believe this is one of the most debilitating things in our faith today, is identity or the lack of understanding our identity and our lack of us actually knowing our identity. Because we go to everybody else and we allow the world to dictate who we are, right? We've talked about this before. We allow so many voices in our world to really set up the framework of who we are as a person and how we're supposed to live our lives. But it's found in scripture. Over and over again, we see who God says we are. So when we welcome people into community, we want to welcome them in to be themselves. But not just be themselves, maybe the way the world has shaped them. We want them to be all that God has called them to be. We want them to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We want them to be a part of the body of Christ, right? The bride of Christ. We want them to live a life of more. So, even before getting to chapter 4 of John, why is it this story? And like, why in my mind, why, God, did you keep bringing him back to this story of, of this woman? I really feel that this morning, many of you need to hear this. Jesus chose you. I just want to hang there for a second. Because many of us think that we've just stumbled into this faith or into this relationship with Jesus. He actually chose you. He chose you long before time. He chose you to be his son or his daughter. He chose you to be in community. He chose you to be in an intimate relationship with him. Doesn't that blow your mind? The God of heaven and earth chose you way before time to be in relationship with him. And maybe this has spoken to me so much because relationship to me has looked so many different ways. In my concept of relationship, I've always kind of put it upon my relationship with God and allowed it to, to really dictate what that looked like. So often for me, my relationship with God is more, more or less looked like in a employer-employee relationship where I always feel I need to do more for God. I have to do because Jesus gave so much, right? Jesus did so much for me, so I need to do. I need to earn this. I need to earn my salvation. I need to earn God's love because that's, that's the currency in today's society. That's the way things work. I need to do. And so my relationship in so many ways looked like this. It, if you looked at it on paper, you'd be like... Ah, that's not really an intimate father-son relationship. This is more of like an employer-employee relationship. Wow. And even as I've been praying about this and asking, asking God, like, why, what is it about, especially John chapter 4, where is it where we're at, God, like, what is it about this right now, what you want to teach me and what you want to teach our church family? 
And it's funny because Holy Spirit, as I'm going through this and I'm thinking about the employer-employee thing and how I've always felt like I need to do more for God and it helps me to feel better about myself, right? I feel like a better Christian, like I've grown in Christianity, right? My stature of being a Christian man because I've done more. I look more holy on the outside. I know more Bible verses now. I could recite more scripture. I know more worship songs. I lift both hands when I'm worshiping, right? I've progressed. (laughs) On the outside, everything looks so great. But this need to do, it's actually masked in this way of like me being in a relationship with God because what it's done is it's actually allowed me to remain in control somewhat still. Because what I'm doing is I'm saying, well, God, at least I have control over my actions and I could earn this. So I could continue to do this. But the good news, as we're going to see in this story today, Jesus relentlessly pursues us. And I know so many of you know this and you're like, yeah, it's great. You know, reckless love. I've heard it a million times, times 30 at least, right? In the past six months. I get it. He recklessly pursues me. Do you really get it though? Do you really get it that against all odds that Jesus has gone all in? And not just has gone all in. He goes all in daily to show you, like, I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep pushing and pushing. I'm going to show you. And I'm actually going to show you that you are worthy, regardless of maybe doubt that you've had, regardless of who, what people have said about you. You are worthy in my eyes. I'm going to continue to pursue you. He goes all in for us. In this God that goes all in and recklessly pursues us, he knows you. He knows you by name. He knows those deep secrets and those deep dreams and desires that you have, maybe that have been birthed in these dreams when you're dreaming with God or just in this space where you're just maybe walking one day and having a chat with him and these things that maybe you haven't even voiced and verbalized and actually shared with other people, he knows those. He knows you. He knows how you function. He knows everything about you. So in a society where we're constantly moving and constantly working and progressing to be known, we already have a God knows us fully. Jesus pursues us. All of you in this room, he hasn't stopped pursuing you. He hasn't given up. He hasn't let off. He hasn't eased up. You know, kind of backed up on the gas because all of a sudden, oh no, they come to church and they have a great relationship. Jesus pursues you far more than you could ever pursue him. Sorry to burst some of your bubbles. Everything that you could do, and no matter how well we hear from God, and what we do to hear from God, reading scripture, whatever it may be, he's always pursuing us more. I love to think of it this way, that not only did God save us, 
but God saved us to him. Like we've been saved not only by God, but to God. Do you get that? You haven't just been saved and redeemed by Jesus. You've been saved to him. You've been grafted in to him. You're no longer just your own. You are part of him. He is in you. You are part of his family. You're not alone. So what I'm going to believe today is that as we go through this story, that God is going to give you fresh eyes to see this story that he's going to touch your heart today, that he's going to feel, for some of you, some of you just need to be refreshed. I'm believing that you are going to be refreshed today. Because right when so often we want to get refreshed, so it's, we look at what we have to do. Well, God, let me receive, let me receive, let me receive, right? All you have to do is sit back and be I'm believing for some of you, God is going to refresh you. I believe for others that God is going to really enlighten you and how deeply he wants you to know him. How much he wants to be in a relationship with you, a true relationship with you. Which could actually redefine how we all do relationship. Let's get to the story. John chapter 4. The heading says, Jesus talks to a woman at the well. Give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. So at the beginning of chapter four, you're going to see that Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard he was gaining momentum. He was baptizing a lot of people. So what Jesus does is he decides, I'm not fearful of them, but I'm just not going to deal with it. Not my time to confront this. So he heads out. It says that he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4 says, now he had gone, he had to go through Samaria. And everyone could say, ooh. He had to go through Samaria, right? What's the big deal with this? Geographically, if you were to look at a map, you'd see that a, I guess if you're walking, the journey from Judea to Samaria, or excuse me, to Galilee would be three days, cutting through this area called Samaria. Now the thing is, is kind of for around 450 years or so, the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along too well. There's been a whole lot of funk between them. They kind of don't like each other. In fact, a lot of historians say that they absolutely hated each other. How did this all take place? Well, it was after this, there's this war where Assyria took over the northern kingdom. What they did is they deported most of the Jews out because they wanted to mix it in. They didn't want just all Jews to be in this one area. So they kind of brought in other people. They brought in other immigrants. And those people started to live there and build communities. And some of the Jews that were left there started to intermarry. And they would marry some of these people who were foreigners. So what Jewish people started to look at is like, well, these people are obviously impure now. They're mixing up. They're like, it's a pretty horrible term, but they would refer to them as mixed breeds. They would say all these Samaritans are mixed breeds. And they'd also even look at them as people that just completely turn their back on their nation. Like, it's funny. There's there's so, it's actually so deep, the levels of hatred and what went on between these people groups. It's like they looked looked at them and they're like, well, I can't believe they would totally turn their back on our nation and go and intermingle with these other people, right? 
So this journey, like I said, would be three days. However, a lot of Jews, it's actually said that a lot of Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria. So they would have to tack an extra three days on their journey. Because if you could think about it, think of it as going vertical. If we're looking at a map, right? Judea's on the bottom, Galilee's on top, and you have the River Jordan parallel going up from one point to the other, right? So what they would do is instead of just going straight up through Samaria, they would actually cross over the River Jordan, walk on the other side to completely avoid Samaria, and then they would circle back and cross the river again just to avoid these people. Like, you've got to be pretty determined to add three days to your trek just to avoid these people. Like, it's pretty intense. Even in the days of Ezra, when Ezra was rebuilding the temple, the Samaritans actually came to the Jews and said, we want to help you. And Jews were like, no. Nope. In the days of Nehemiah, they said, well, let us help you rebuild the walls. Let us help you rebuild the walls of your city. And again, no. We don't want your help. So it's like year upon year of these people just butting heads and not liking each other, okay? So back to it. Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want to throw this out there as well. Jesus was not just aimlessly roaming around. It's easy to read, well, he went through Samaria. He's probably just wandering somewhere. Jesus had a plan. He was very intentional about what what he was doing here. So buckle up. We're going to read actually through the rest of the chapter right now. I'm going to start with verse 5. We're going to go through verse 26. You guys good? Yeah. All right. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from, or excuse me, draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Apparently the well, generously, there's so many different um, accounts of it, but it was at least 60 feet deep before you even hit water. So pretty substantial. And that's like on the lower end. A lot of people actually say it was well over 100 feet deep before you'd even hit water. So it kind of gives you an idea what this lady's thinking. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all of his sons and his livestock? Anyone ever wonder why he brought, or this woman's bringing Jacob into this? They looked at Jacob as the forefather of their faith, the Samaritans. So they kind of adopted him as this. And so that's why she's saying, here we are at this well. This was Jacob's. This land was Jacob's. We come from his you know, line. Are you greater than him? Back to the scripture. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Some of you just need to hear that today. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, excuse me, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There's a whole lot in that story, right? There's a whole lot of verses that we just ran through. I want to help you grasp this a little more, because this is actually pretty scandalous, this entire scene. For us in our Western world and Western way of thinking, we could look at it and just see it's just a nice story of Jesus and calling some lady out on her stuff and offering her relationship with him, living water. It actually goes way deeper, though. There's a whole lot more about this. Starting off the timing of this, Jesus comes into this place. He decides to walk through Samaria, a place that no one should really be going as far as the Jews are concerned, right? And of course, Jesus is like, well, that's where I'm going. He stops at this well in midday, sits down, and then there comes this woman walking over with her pot to get her her water, which is, if you kind of push back and look at the entire scene, you'll understand, this is a bit strange. It's noon. It would be probably the hottest part of the day right now. Women in that culture would have not gone to draw water during the heat. The typical times that you'd go to draw water was early morning or in the evening. So there's something about this woman being there. Like, why would she be coming noon? But not just noon. She's by herself. Drawing water in this culture was actually a communal event. All of the women of the, the community would go together and make the trek. It was half a mile from where they lived, in this specific well. They would trek half a mile together, and they'd go and they'd go, go and draw the water, but not just draw water, they'd get a chance to catch up. They would talk about what's going on, they would talk about their families, and you know, get, a, get a chance to just kind of hang out and be them. Be away from all the guys of the town for a little bit. So there's a lot of interesting facts about this. We see this woman coming up, right? And then she sees him in his, obviously she knew the way he was dressed, that he was Jewish, right? Even more so though, Jesus, Jewish, single man, a rabbi, 
talking to this woman at a well. Ask her for a drink of water. There's so many things wrong with this picture right now. We're going even deeper, and the deeper we go, the more is like there's more things that are wrong. All of the details are screaming like, this should not be happening. In this culture, this should not be happening. See, during these, this time period, rabbis would not associate with women. Harsh. But you need to understand that rabbis would not associate with women, let alone be caught talking to them alone in a public place where everyone could see. A chapter before this, we see another rabbi speaking to somebody. In fact, it's Nicodemus comes and speaks to Jesus, right? When did he come to speak to Jesus? At night, when no one could see. So any well-meaning rabbi would understand, you can't do this, you could actually, you could mess with your character. What are people going to say? This is so wrong. In fact, rabbis were so hardcore about this, they even thought that scripture should not be taught to women. It's horrible, but like, do you see the layers that we're putting on here? And here Jesus is, he's talking with her. Even better, in Genesis chapter 29, we see it, a well, quite possibly this very well. We see another couple meet. Actually, it goes back all the way in throughout scripture. I'm just going to pull this up real quick and share with you. In, excuse me, starting with chapter 24 of Genesis, Abraham meets Rebekah, who will marry his son Isaac at a well. Genesis 29, Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Catching on with this? Exodus chapter 2, Moses sits down at a well when he's running from everybody. He's tired. And then comes his future wife. Everybody read these scriptures, right? Everybody knew these stories back then. So you can't tell me if anyone walked up and saw a single man speaking to a woman at a well, that they wouldn't think that something was going on. This would be to the effect, let's say you saw Sam one night, you're going, and there's a new restaurant that opened up, let's say over on Embarcadero. Very romantic spot, the most romantic spot in all of San Francisco. There's lines, you gotta like sign up months in advance to get a, a spot there to have dinner, right? And you're walking by with a group of friends and then, wait, there's Sam there with a girl. What's going on there? And then you think like, something's up with that, right? This was on that level. Jesus is sitting there like everything he was doing was so inappropriate. There was safeguards in place for this not to happen, and yet Jesus chose to do this. Everything about this. And then not to mention the woman as well. I've seen so many pictures, like portrayals of this, this moment in time. Jesus walking up with his perfect blue eyes and his, his <laughs> you know, light brown permed hair. <laughs> and then this lady, like the, one of the pictures I saw, this lady's like just sitting on the edge of a well, cigarette in her fingers, just sitting there, looked like she had a rough night. And I'm like, what's hilarious is this is the way that this woman has been portrayed for ages, right? We look at this woman, 
And oh gosh, yeah, she's had five husbands. He calls her out and she's living with another guy. But none of this stopped Jesus. Jesus was well aware of all of these details. Yet he chose in that moment to meet her there. I love it because starting off in the story and where we've gotten to so far, we could see that even when someone's not pursuing Jesus or actually searching for him, he's pursuing them. So they're sitting there talking about this living water and they're going back and forth and then he tells her to go home to her husband. He says that she doesn't have any He's like, yeah, right, you have, you've had five husbands. What's interesting is the Greek word that's used that we get husbands from actually would be more of a pure translation if you just said man. So she said, okay, he said, you've had five men. For some of you that aren't aware of like this, the context of what was going on in society at this time as well, it wasn't very easy for women to initiate divorce. In fact, women weren't really allowed to. So this woman, who'd been married five times, we've been taught for so many years, and everyone pictures this woman as a harlot, making her way around town, right? Can't get enough of guys. But what happens if her husband died? Or even worse, what would happen if this woman was barren, couldn't have kids? In society during these times, if she was barren, no man would have stayed with her. That alone could have been a reason for people to leave her five times. Imagine the weight that this woman is carrying already. Walk, obviously walking out by herself, probably doesn't want to be bothered, probably doesn't want to hear any of the stories because everyone's already judging her anyways. So she comes out by herself and then meets this rabbi and then he starts to say these things to her. Left once, okay. Left twice, it hurts. Three times, at some point, any human being would feel a bit like they're damaged goods. Feeling not worthy. Imagine what she could have gone through. Imagine, it doesn't say if she had children or not. This is something so much deeper. This woman was hurt. Experienced heartache on so many levels. We don't know what she went through, but we understand if we sit there and read all the historical documents, it's pretty gruesome what could take place during those times. Like even if a woman was raped, and I'm sorry to get this graphic, she couldn't get married. Like the only way she would get married is if she married the person that raped her. It was that twisted. So this woman has this story. But Jesus meets her at this well. And he's aware, well aware of the stigma at the well. But he meets her there. 
to tell her, you are known. I know you. You see, he doesn't tell her, go and sin no more. Because me personally, I've heard this preached a million times with that, and I think they get it a little mixed up with the other woman, right, in the Gospels that we're talking about. But people like to pin this on and say, act this like this, this woman was a total sinner, and this, whatever she was going through, God saw her fit, and he saw, saw this woman who he wanted to be in relationship with and wanted to usher into her place in his family and into his kingdom, her rightful place as a daughter. As Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4, he says that you've been adopted into sonship, right? As a son and a daughter. He says that God sent his son to earth, right? In that same very word in the Greek that he uses to send, he says that he also has sent his spirit to live and reside in you. He sent his son to redeem and then he sent himself to live in you, to be in relationship with you. That's God. That's what this story is about. No longer just the woman like we talked about sitting on the side smoking a cigarette, trying to get her water, can't be bothered with people. But it's more about a savior who's in relentless pursuit of every one of his creation. It's more about a savior who decided to step down from his throne onto this earth and kneel down at a well Look at a woman eye to eye and tell her that I know you, but what I have is what you need. Living water is what I offer. We try and fill our lives with meaning and with purpose. We try and do, 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 whether it's for just ourselves or whether it's for God. But that message that Jesus gives this woman is the same message he tells us. You're going to be thirsty. You might satisfy your desire right now, but that thirst is going to come back. It might come back as a nagging thirst because I'm the only one that can fulfill that. I'm the only one that can fulfill that desire. And it's not about what you have to do. It's all about, he tells a woman, if you just asked for it, If you ask for this drink, I will give it to you. If you ask for this water. Kind of fast forwarding towards the end of this conversation, he tells her that he is the Messiah. Further on in scripture, tells us that she left her jar there sitting at the well and ran off to tell the people in the in the community that who she just met. The interesting thing as well is that from her testimony, many people came to believe in Jesus, right? Another curveball I'm going to throw you is if she was this woman who had this reputation of being untrustworthy and was kind of an outcast in society, why is it that they would have listened to her so quickly? Scripture doesn't say that she came and told them and they did not believe. She said, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything there is about me. And people went. 
So much that people, there's this buzz around town that people came and they said, Jesus, we want you to stay two days with us. And he does. And even more people in, in Samaria come to know him. And this is where I just wanted to hang here today because we all need to get this understanding that look at what Jesus had every odd stacked against him. He chose to go to Samaria who no Jew would have gone to. He's like, I'm going to show you how recklessly I'm going to pursue you, how I'm never going to let off. And you are my child. I look at you as worthy. It's not what you have to do or what you can do. It's what's already been done. That's what I have to offer. He went to the Samaritans. Not just that, he went to a woman who, like I said, we've all been taught, just layer upon layer of brokenness, sin, whatever you want to put on there, right? Let's just keep stacking it up. Anything that we could stack against it, every reason that Jesus had no business being there was the very reason that he used it as fuel to be there. To show us no matter how far you might feel off at times, I'm right there. To show you there's days that, I could attest to this, there's so many days where I don't feel worthy and I feel, God, you must be ashamed of me. Or how would you want to speak to me? Like this morning I was praying and I couldn't even remember what I was praying about because I was thinking about what I had to accomplish this day. You must not want to, oh man. There's so many people that are better than me at this, right? I'm sure you'd rather choose them. We have this story like this in John chapter four, where if this isn't like a massive exclamation point in the gospel, I don't know what it is. This is him saying, regardless of where you've been, Regardless of how you might actually feel today, I'm not letting off. I'm not looking at you any different. Just like with the Samaritan woman, he knelt down by the side of that well and he sat with her. And then he sits with her people. It's such a beautiful picture of intimacy, of God himself leaning in and wanting to be in relationship with us. So what it really leaves us with is how are we going to respond to this? Identity is one of our biggest challenges. We always think we're not worthy enough. We don't. Maybe it's just some of us have come from broken homes and we see how a relationship with a parent worked in our lives and speaking for myself. And so we have a hard time really picturing how can God, I don't know how this is going to happen. How is he going to be a parent to me? How does he love me? Because my view of that, my experience doesn't really line up with that. He wants to show us. He wants to take us on that journey of knowing what it is to be known, fully known, and fully loved. But how do we respond to this? How do we respond to Jesus in these moments? The way this story ends, obviously Samaritans come to uh, believe in him. 
But I love this little antidote at the end that so many of us probably breeze over because we don't understand it. We say, just then the disciples returned and we're surprised to find him talking with, with a woman. You don't say, right? But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the women went back. Okay, she left. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. So it's like, it's this weird picture of this beautiful moment takes place. She runs off, leaves her jar on the ground. The disciples come back and they don't say anything. Like, this is comical to some extent, because it's like, these guys are coming back, and they're probably so confused, like, what is going on? Like, Jesus, I know what's up with Wells. Like, I know, that's where I met my girl at, like, right? <laughs> so they're like, maybe, well, kind of like, he does kind of need a girlfriend, right? He's a single guy, he's like 30-something years old, like, he, but nobody says anything, right? And then they just go to, uh, why don't you eat something? <laughs> but get this. How he responds to them. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Poor disciples. And they said, verse 33 says, Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Poor guys. Does not portray them well. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This whole story is amazing. It talks about intimacy with the Father and what's available to us. It talks about Jesus recklessly pursuing us, right? And knowing us so deeply. But it actually shows one of the greatest benefits of understanding who we are. See, Jesus tries to teach them a lesson at the very end when they ask him if he's hungry, and he says, no, I already have food. It's not this cryptic message that he's, you know, trying to trap, trap them in something, trying to see if they'll figure out like a riddle. He's just saying, I'm fulfilled by working out of who I know I am. Like by knowing I'm the son of God and knowing who I am in the kingdom, I'm fulfilled. So see, there's this grace over us when we actually live out of a place of knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. In the same way Jesus said, he's like, I'm not hungry because I'm fulfilled. For some of you, come on, when you're, Sam, when you're either playing guitar or riding a motorcycle, something you'd love to do, it's gratifying, it's rejuvenating, right? Think about when you do something that you're truly like gifted for or you're passionate about, it's refreshing. Even if you feel tired and you're like, oh, I don't have any time, whatever, you go and you do it and all of a sudden you feel re-energized. It's the same way with when you know who you are in Jesus Christ. Because you're living out of a place of being a son and a daughter. You're living out of a place of being in a close relationship with God himself. And there's a grace over that. There's an ebb and flow. We talked about rhythm months ago. That's what it is, is this rhythm of life. There's a grace over it. I'm going to invite the worship team on up. Let's bow our heads. Father, as we start in worship, God, we acknowledge that you're here. 
Because like the psalmist said, Psalm 12, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Well, God, there's no other place that I want to be today than in your presence. And I think so many of us feel weak and weary and burdened, God, and just bogged down from life. Maybe things are going well, but we just need to be encouraged today. Father, there's no better place to be encouraged than in your presence. So Holy Spirit, come and touch hearts. Father, where there are walls around hearts, I ask that you'd break walls down. Rain down with your love, your peace, your joy in this place. Replace despair with joy in these moments, God. Father, I ask that you would liberate people from these chains that have been binding them, God, even their thought lives, Father. I see anxiousness and anxiety and stress. Father, that they would choose your joy in this moment. We welcome you into this place and we say, have your way, Lord God. Father, I thank you that you are a good God and that you're going to touch people in this moment. So, Father, we praise you and we love you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the House SF podcast. We pray that you're encouraged today by this message. If you'd like to partner with and support our ministry, please visit us at www.housesf.org.